Howdy. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at History and Film on Instagram and HIF Pod on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at TrackNerds, and you can always email me at Simmons at TrackNerds.com. Enjoy the show. Uh, so we want to start this bonus episode getting into a little listener feedback here that we received. So first, uh, Dermot wrote in with a comment on the translation of The Sea Inside, title from Mara Dentro in Spanish. And I think I do get a little too hung up on thinking that titles, quote, should be literal. Like, why would you change it? If you have a literal translation you can make, and he kind of points out that thematically it makes more sense saying, well, I said out to sea, he said maybe more actually kind of into the sea, because how they would say it in, in Spanish, but it's more about the spirit of the title, and then changing it in English to the sea inside is more kind of, you know, that metaphorical thing that fits the theme of the film versus if you just literally translated it to out to sea or into the sea, the English audience doesn't get that same connection to his own journey. You know what I'm saying? There's a connection right. there in Spanish that we just don't see in English if you made it a literal translation. And you also run the risk of people thinking it's like a, you know, high seas like pirate drama or something. If you name it, out <laughs> no, scene. yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, it, it just uh, it 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 works a lot better as the sea inside. Yeah, I, I think that's probably an important thing is that you know translating isn't just about word for word. What does it mean? It's more about what are you trying to convey. And uh, and then he also went on uh, uh, Dermot here to point out that you definitely see the opposite where a lot of times English titles translated into Spanish are just laughably bad, probably because they're. It, whatever they, they just he didn't give examples but they, they fail in the attempt to kind of either you know i would guess either that they're too literal or that in there trying to make it something else it's just becomes laughable anyway but yeah, i thought that was worth worth mentioning and it is you know obviously we don't have to dive into the english and translations and all that stuff in general but there are other things that come to mind are i've heard like oh i forget who did this but like basically if you like translate something from say Japanese anime in the English and then back in the Japanese or, or or the other way around. It's just, it can, you can end up with some really, really funny things. It's just the way. Yeah. Uh, there are some funny videos or examples of people where they, uh, you know, they, they like will translate something back and forth. Yeah. Translate it between it like two languages. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, and then it's just absolute gibberish by the time they're done with it. And I think it all comes down to syntax. Like, we just take for granted, like, you know, you have to even think of something as simple as, you know, I mean, everyone in America who learns a little bit of Spanish kind of knows that sometimes the adjectives come after the noun, which is different than in English. But there's a million little things like that where the syntax is just different. So the moment you start translating, if you don't also translate the syntax, it just degrades and becomes just like you said, just a hot mess. Yeah, there's a few and you can find tons of examples of this, but just like absolutely hilarious title translations mm. um from english into other languages and then and then you know back in english like right what, and and then right but like what the what the literal translation is and some of them are even funnier if you if you know the context so like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind in italy the title is if you literally translate it into english is if you leave me i delete you <laughs> that's good that's actually a good title <laughs> yeah. uh i think my favorite one is the chinese title for boogie nights which unless you've seen boogie nights this probably won't uh 
this probably won't land, but <laughs> the Chinese title literally translated is his powerful device makes him famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh... I don't, I don't have anything to add. I think we should just move on from that one. <laughs> uh, the other person that wrote in was Nick, and he, and he had a, a movie to suggest. And I was almost kind of skeptical at first in that, okay, this is a, it, it's called The Beast or, or The Beast of War from 1988. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a 1980s war movie I've never heard of. There's probably a reason I've never heard of this movie. And did you get a chance to watch it? I did. I just watched it last night. It was so good. It's it's solid. It's solid. I'm I'm bummed that we didn't have the opportunity. Like it didn't work out time wise to be able to do this. Oh, it's a full like, episode. As, here. Yeah, yeah. As a, a at least a bonus episode to Charlie Wilson's War, if not like its own episode. Right. Like, it right. Was, it was that good. No, it's now. I I feel like I mean I'm a little less enamored with it than you and Nick. All at the same time, it, it grew on me. Like. At the beginning, it was kind of awkward at the beginning, I thought, because at first I was like, okay, are these guys speaking English? Are these Americans that are coming in to deal with the, the, the war between the Soviets and the Mujahideen? Or, okay, no, okay, they're actually Russians that are using English as a proxy for Russian, yeah. which I feel was an 80s thing that nowadays you would just have the Russians speak Russian. And I feel like you don't see a lot of movies nowadays where they sub languages in to that, that egregiously. And to the point that I, as you know, the audience was like, I was actually confused that these guys were yeah. speaking English uh, versus yeah. nowadays. You would just... It was cool that the Afghans were actually speaking Pashto, yes. though. Yes, although I did see in one of the IMDb error things, they said some of the women were actually speaking Hindi. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> uh, but no, so it it was good. So at first, though, it was, it was kind of confusing, too, because I was like, who are they wanting us to root for? Because it was kind of like you yeah. almost at first you're like, wait, so the Mujahideen see, okay, they they're justifying their anger, so they're they're definitely the good guys, but they're not the main characters. The Russian tank's the main character, and there's really only one of them that we like. But it was also unclear that he was really the clear protagonist at first, and obviously it definitely became clear that he was the most protagonist, right? Because the very first thing that you see him do. The very first thing that you see him do in the movie is like a war crime. Right, right. <laughs> now I'm getting under <laughs> duress, but still. Sure. So it was kind of fascinating kind of figuring that out. And, and I was almost kind of like, wait, who are we supposed to root for here? But then it kind of, you know, hits its groove and it was definitely engaging. And you're like, oh, okay, this guy that is uh, at odds with his commanding officer who's a psychopath, that's where you're like, okay, this guy's the bad guy. They're the yeah. guy in charge of the tank who is just horrible i mean even by but, even by russian standards <laughs> but even he is even the the crazy like you know bloodthirsty tank commander is not he's not just maniacally evil for no reason like he talks about in the movie how he's been fighting wars since he's eight years old mm. like he was at the siege of stalingrad Oh, when he true. Was eight years right, old and right. was and was fighting Nazis in World War II and has been nonstop at war ever since. And obviously, that's going to mess somebody up. That's true. And yeah, that is. I was even kind of trying to do the math in my head. And yeah, it kind of checks out because this is set in 1981. It even says at the very beginning, we're in the second year of the Russian invasion. And yeah, so then that so that guy who's a tank commander in 1981 would have yeah been the right age to be a little kid during World War II, and that was kind of fascinating. To th you think about those things as being so separate historically. World War II versus Russian invasion of Afghanistan. You don't think of any overlap. But, right. yeah, children of World War II were then the generals and soldiers uh, 
40 years later or even just yeah yeah about 40 years later and this doesn't look like it was based on any specific incident obviously other than yes i mean it, it does deal heavily with the actual russian invasion in afghanistan which we've touched on a little bit in the past but this particular incident does just seem to be fabricated i couldn't find anything that said like anything like this actually happened no, it's it's uh the screenplay is based on a stage play. Oh right, that was cool too. Called Nanawati, which is like the custom of you know showing hospitality and and mercy to people, which is kind of like that's like the main theme in the movie. And that was kind of brilliant how they worked that in. I thought like the whole yeah. idea that it was being set up earlier, where the their translator is kind of then telling teaching him some of these Afghani customs, and it. Right. It doesn't feel out of place. It feels organic to that moment. And then when that ties exactly. back later to him, basically, that's how he doesn't get killed by the Mujahideen as he invokes that Nana Watai or whatever. I'm like, that That was brilliant writing right there. Yeah, for sure. This was also, it was also interesting watching this movie and like trying to think of it like as a, you know, because in 2021. Pre-9-11. Um, you know, right. Yeah. It, pre-9-11 and like before a lot of people probably even knew anything about Afghanistan and how much stuff that it actually did get right as far as like their language and their culture and stuff. True, that's a good point. So the American audience that apparently didn't exist, because Nick mentions this was only released <laughs> in like two theaters across the US, which again, does kind of blow my mind. It just must have got lost in the shuffle. Anyway, but the, the audience back then, I mean, you're still at the tail end of the Cold War. The Berlin Wall hasn't come down yet when this movie yeah. was released. So this is more... This is almost like on the heels of like, uh, you know, Red Dawn in the 80s where it's more just like, obviously the Russians are the bad guys. So the whole idea of like, hey, we can have one good Russian who's helping the Mujahideen. And that's a completely different perspective than again, well, yeah, watching this now where... Well, and more than just the Berlin Wall hadn't come down, there were still Soviets in Afghanistan when this movie came out. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's contemporary. It's almost like, you know, we said all those World War II movies that came out during World War II. It's kind of like... Yeah, this is a Russian Soviet invasion of Afghanistan movie while they were still there. That's a great point. Yeah, so yeah, it's a completely different perspective. Yeah, that's fascinating. So yes, do continue to uh, write in with any listener feedback. Uh, we will admit that our audience is still small enough at this point that if you write in, there is an excellent chance we will give you a <laughs> shout out uh, on, on the podcast. So yeah, do continue to do that. It's a little tricky with uh, just the re recording in our timeline. This episode isn't airing until March, I don't think. We're recording it in January, right after we got the feedback. So we'll figure out a way to work it in if we if we can at all. Uh, so yeah, thanks for thanks for listening, and uh, we're gonna go ahead and continue on with our discussion this Friday about American Sniper. So that was recorded much earlier. So take it away, Logan from the past. Okay, so with this bonus episode, this is something that we had talked about specifically because of all the issues that I mentioned in the Hurt Locker episode that I had with historical accuracy and just, you know, life in the military in general accuracy that, that kind of kill my suspension of disbelief. So I wanted to also talk about American Sniper, which is the movie that we're, that this episode is, is about. So does it do a way better job with just as far as how the military operates? So again, like for the specifics, like I don't, I don't know anything about, about EOD. Like I was never an EOD guy, so I can't speak to the stuff that is inaccurate in the Hurt Locker that's related to EOD. Also on that same note, I've never been a Navy SEAL or a sniper. So okay, fair. 
I, so I, I, you know, but you still don't have the issues with this one. As far as that, if if an if, a, if an actual Navy SEAL sniper is watching this movie, I'm sure that there oh, is fair, hokey right. stuff that they can okay. they can pick apart. Or anyone who's ever seen a human child that might recognize the <laughs> lack of a human child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking like uh, I mean, honestly, like the practical effects in like the thing from you know what 1984 1985 are better than than the creepy plastic rubber baby in this movie i did see that and we'll we're getting off hey we're side note as always <laughs> but they i did see that it's because basically real baby number one was sick real baby number two didn't show up and it was the time oh. to fill the scene so clint was just you like get the do. doll in there like yeah. Ugh, but it's like, no, find another day. Because you could have done that whole yeah. scene in a day and with a real baby because it looks horrible. They said, yeah. they said audiences were even laughing in the theaters during during that scene because the baby looks so fake. Um, all right. Sorry. Anyway, back to. So anyway, Cypher. so with this movie and just like any other movie that deals with the military, like there's hokey stuff and corny stuff and stuff that people are talking about that no one would actually have to talk about, but you know that it's like, oh, that's for the audience, like, you know, explaining what certain acronyms and things mean. But I think that this movie does a lot better job in that department than The Hurt Locker does. Okay, interesting. And because while I think Bradley Cooper's performance is excellent, I don't I don't think this is a very good movie. Okay, and I can I can see... I can see why people don't like this movie, for sure. I love Bradley Cooper's performance in this movie, especially because when you watch like actual interviews with Chris Kyle, because Chris Kyle was, you know, famous and and he was pretty well known, like when this movie was coming out. Okay. So he he wasn't like killed in the war or anything. For for people who don't know, he would right or haven't seen the movie. He was um, after he came back from Iraq and got out of the Navy, he started helping veterans deal with issues and deal with PTSD. And one of the ways that he would do that was would take them to the range and they would go shoot with Chris Kyle, who's, you know, the legend, he was this, yeah. this yeah, the, the legend, this, this well-known Navy SEAL sniper. And one of the veterans that he and his friend were taking out to the range ended up killing both of them. So he was actually killed while this movie was in production. Or I think it was at least pre-production. Is that why it feels so awkward at the end? Like, they should have just yes. left it out. Yes. Like, they basically shoehorn an ending to a right. movie in a way that just, like, is so stupid. From a filmmaking standpoint, it's horrible. But Because when it was, I think it was, it was either in production or in pre-production because Bradley Cooper has talked about how he... Like he had spoken with Chris Kyle right, about okay. you know certain aspects of the movie, so the the movie wasn't going to be anything about you know about that. It was just going to be about his his exploits in Iraq. They should have just ended it however they were planned on ending it anyway, and then you could still do the text on the screen that says in 2013. He was murdered. You can say all that, but just the yeah. weird thing of showing it, and then like the wife is a little nervous about the guy who's weird. It just, from a story- storytelling standpoint, it's a dumb Deus Ex Machina. Now, I get that it really happened, but then you have to set it right. up. You either leave it out completely or you set it up. You can't do yeah. half of both. Well, and I, I think it's it's one of those things where it, you know, it, it could have gone either way because from the filmmaker standpoint, I can see. I can see both sides. I can see people that say, just leave it out. Just We'll just keep it how the story was. 
And, you know, once he vanquishes the enemy sniper at the end, then well, that'll be the end. But then if all of a sudden this guy who you're making this movie about who's already this legend is like, has, is part of this very high profile, like, you know, he's trying to help veterans and then one of them kills him. Like that could almost be a, a story in itself. And it's right, like, how right. do we, it's like, okay, well this, this is obviously in the news and we're still making this movie. How do we not talk about that? How do we not address that? Okay. And so let's sorry, so let's let's kind of then rewind to the film itself. And again, there's definitely there's a lot I do like here, I would say. But then I don't know, I also feel like I want to peel the band-aid off and be like, despite all the things Chris Kyle did, and he was legitimately called the legend or the myth for his ability to kind of protect his guys and as a sniper over in Iraq, mm-hmm. they make him out to be so humble in the movie, but he basically has a long track record of exaggerating things he's done and and just was I kind of, the comparison I always think of is John Smith, who wrote like five volumes of his exploits that were probably mostly not true, but he also still did a lot of important stuff. So I feel like they, the movie makes him so humble when he was basically bragging about stuff he never did. Yeah, there, there's a whole like section on his Wikipedia page about alleged fabrications, right? Of like, like stuff that he did that he went down and was sniping looters during Hurricane Katrina, and the police are like, "We don't know what he's talking about." Like it's just so bizarre. Yeah. It's like if you did that, you're a criminal, and if you didn't, why would you say you did? It's bizarre or if you did do it it wasn't the numbers you said it's just it's just a weird thing to even say and it doesn't fit with the guy they kind of present us with in the movie and he's kind of this weird combination too it's i can't i feel like the movie can't get straight what it's trying to say so it's like he's this proud kind of hoorah american who we can maybe kind of get behind but then he's also not really a good husband half the time. So are, what, what message are you trying to say are, are, is the movie even pro this guy or anti this guy yeah but i i think that that's and I don't know, maybe it's just because I have a different perspective on this, but I think that that's kind of like, I don't think that that's necessarily a negative. I mean, that's not to say, I don't know. I It's it's like it's showing how how much he's sacrificing by showing that, that he's basically saying this cause, like trying to save as many guys as possible is more important than my marriage right now. That he's basically kind of, biting the bullet and just saying i like yes my marriage is going to suffer yes you know my relationship with my child is going to suffer but like this is something that i have to do no i get that intellectually it just feels like the lifetime movie version of that like it just doesn't feel very well executed to me yeah i don't know i've also and i'm curious to see to get your take on this there are kind of two factions of people when it comes to this movie, one who think that it is like it's glorifying war and specifically the Iraq war. And then others that say, no, it's showing how terrible it was. And this is an anti-war movie. Oh, I think it's a hundred percent glorification. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but also with the, with the caveat of it also seems inconsistent with what it's trying to do. Okay. I think it's kind of both. I think it's trying to be an anti-war movie. I think it, but I think it ends up glorifying a lot of the aspects of the war. If that, Makes sense. Yeah, and that's well, again, and just the whole idea too of so it got too high. It gets too hyperbolic. Like this whole idea of the rival between the snipers that I get. So he he mentions this rival sniper like once in the book because it's a sniper who did kill one of his buddies. But 
the idea that there was this longtime rival and there's posters like that's all just they beefed that up for the movie in a way that was like not even close to what happened like he didn't kill the guy he killed some other guy with this was a long shot but even then that might have been another thing he was bragging about but yeah this whole sniper rivalry wasn't really a thing and also it just feels too superhero action movie as opposed to real life war the way they did it like it's almost like they're just it's just this hyperbole that just yeah whereas again hurt locker despite its issues was felt more real that is one issue that i do have with this movie and the way that it has this you know the story of him in iraq and then the story of him after he's out of the navy the stuff in iraq you can tell it's like okay this is going to be based on chris kyle's exploits and we're kind of gonna spice it up and make it a little more you know movie popcorny yeah yeah but then we're also gonna have this like this really kind of heartfelt sappy like this is stuff that he did when he got back so it's like which he he did all of that stuff no right the, the stuff that they show from afterwards but it's like but then when you when the first part of your movie is this stuff that's like his life but with extra stuff added and stuff changed it does kind of it it's a it's a conflict between those two parts of the story right i just like it couldn't decide what it was trying to be and oh so also we we're talking a lot of movies that the ones we tend to like more where it, it kind of deals with the nuance and we appreciate when the movies show the nuance of history and i feel like this movie is just kind of lacking in nuance They're, the iraqis are not people and even the one guy they have dinner with ends up being an insurgent who's hoarding weapons for the bad guys and it's like and I guess the kid is humanized a little bit. But outside of that, it's just you feel like it's the good guys are in this country protecting each other. And there is no questions of why are we here in the first place? What are we doing? Are there actually good Iraqis? It just seems so lacking nuance. Right. But that's kind of by design, though, because that basically Chris Kyle and all of the characters in the movie, their viewpoint is, well, it doesn't matter. Like, we're not making any of those decisions. We're not choosing whether or not to be here. But since we are here... You know, I'm going to do everything I can to try and save as many of my guys as possible. No, and that's fair. And I feel like there's a world where the character can do that, but then the filmmakers show the nuance. Yeah. The other note I had here about the version of Kyle we get in the film, because I don't want to just rag on the real life guy, but I wrote, is he codependent? You think about people who are in codependent relationships who basically they don't exist outside of their relationship with their significant other. I feel like... That was him, and maybe first it was Rodeo, and then it became looking out for his guys. And yes, he wants to protect his guys, but he almost wasn't a person outside of his dedication to America. And it's like a codependent relationship with patriotism, which was just interesting, but also yeah, icky, icky in a way. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, n- I never really thought about it like that. but And, you know, th- it, it also... Th- and I obviously... I obviously like this movie way more than you do, but I, I think that it might be one of those things where it, this is kind of like what you were talking about when we uh, did Bill and Ted, where <laughs> you love that movie way more than most people because it's like perfect time and place. So this movie, Fair. this okay. movie came out in January of 2015 and I had just gotten back from my first deployment to Afghanistan in October of 2014. Oh, wow. Okay. So like, you know, I get back from my first deployment and like immediately this movie comes out. So it's like, I don't know, kind of perfect time and place for me to like be feeling things and dealing with things and, and, you know, be in a mindset that was like, that was a perfect time for me to appreciate this movie to its maximum. And like going back and rewatching it now, it's like, 
I mean, I, I don't necessarily it's it doesn't I don't connect with it on that level, but I think because I connected with it so much when I first saw it that it kind of has this that carryover. That nostalgia is yeah, no, I I get that for sure. Yeah. And and ultimately too, I do say so it's a it's a seventy two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which again we should remind everybody is just a percentage of critics that gave it a thumbs up versus a thumbs down. So twenty eight give it a down, seventy two give it up. If I had to pick I'd probably give it a very, very tepid thumbs up, but yeah. if, you know, if I'm rating it, I'm probably putting it like a six out of ten or a six point five out of ten. Because it is, a, it is a seven point three on IMDb, which I we can we always talk about the issues with the IMDb rating system, but that that's a pr- it's a pretty high rating. It's a relatively high. That's solid. Yeah, yeah. And then an eighty four percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture. So. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I don't hate it. I just have several issues with it, but it's solid. And Bradley Bradley Cooper's performance alone is worth watching yeah, the whole movie. It's he's he is awesome. He becomes Chris Kyle for this movie. If you go watch interviews with Chris Kyle and then you watch Bradley Cooper in this movie, interesting. Like it's crazy. He he's so good. And also, and this is this is a like a, a little side note about his performance. But that that scene where he's like working out and he's got like the super loud metal music blurring in his headphones and he's got like the trap bar deadlift and he's doing like 500 pounds or whatever just repping it out he actually did that was a real weight oh bradley cooper really did that yeah that that he he like uh i i read this article with the guy who was like his trainer for the movie and he said that he wanted like he on screen he wanted it to look like he was actually repping out 400 whatever pounds that was and, oh, you know, because wow. he said it's 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 going to look fake if we have, you know, like fake weights on there. If it's only like 100 pounds, it's not going to look the same. So he wanted it to look real. So he like worked his way up to be able to do that. And so that shot that you see in the movie of him working out, that's real weight. Interesting. And we talked we talked about that with Hurt Locker where I get annoyed with running. Uh, weightlifting is another one. Like you'll see this mm-hmm. occasionally. It drives me crazy. Someone will be bench pressing and they'll hold it about halfway up. For like 10 seconds it's like no 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 that's not a thing after three seconds you're either getting it or you're not getting it there is no holding it for 10 seconds that's not a thing you can make slow progress but you can't hold it halfway struggling for 10 seconds you just physiologically can't do it so and so you definitely notice those kind of things or if the, or if the weight just doesn't feel look right too but again it's just kind of things you're you are used to the one other note i had here and this is kind of a side thing but was that a real gun he was pointing at his wife at the end like the revolver it looked real and he's pointing it at his wife when he was just doing like a little play thing, just like, Hey, stick him up, Missy. But it looked like a real gun. Uh, yeah, that looks like a real gun. <laughs> right. That's a, that's kind of one-on-one is never pointed a gun at somebody loaded or not. I'm not a gun owner, but never point a gun at anything you don't plan on shooting. Oh yeah. No, that's a, that's a no, no. That's like, well, um, yeah. <laughs> and maybe a sniper might the, know better. In the movie, he's, he's very obviously just messing around. Correct. But, but, the rule but is sti- never point a gun. It, it's something you don't plan on killing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so you were going to talk about then Iraq. Yeah. So post. So last last week we kind of ended around 2004 because that's when the, the movie takes place. But I did want to kind of just talk about or just you know touch on basically what's happened with the Iraq War and in Iraq between 2004 and now. Okay. And not not to go too crazy in depth, but basically. After the U.S. overthrew Saddam, there was, you know, huge civil war. And so you have warring factions within 
Iraq fighting each other and fighting the United States, as well as terrorist organizations that were in Iraq fighting the United States, one of which was the Islamic State or the Islamic State in Iraq or ISIS, the Islamic State uh, in Iraq and Syria, or sometimes called ISIL, which is the Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant. So they were one of the terrorist organizations that I think they were actually initially funded by Saudi Arabia. They no longer have any connection to Saudi Arabia, but they were in kind of Western Iraq on the border with Syria. And in 2010, when the Arab Spring happened, Bashar al-Assad kind of refused to give up power in Syria. So they got involved in the Syrian civil war, but really they were trying to use it as a way to you know, the region was already destabilized, so they were trying to capitalize on that to start their own caliphate in Syria and, and Iraq. And they were, like, kind of at, at war with everybody. It's honestly too insane to go over. It, it could be an entire series of podcasts, like the relationships between the different people that were there, like who was supporting and helping and who's against who in that conflict area in, like, the early 2010s early to mid 2010s but like i remember seeing and i don't know if this was like on a website somewhere or if i if i it was like something that i saw you know when i was in the marine corps but basically it was like there was like circles that were representing like different countries and different organizations so there's like a circle for the united states and a circle for the iraqi government and a circle for the kurds and a circle for syrian rebels and for the syrian government and for isis and turkey and russia and, and china and it was like you know several dozen circles of all these organizations and then colored lines showing this person supports this person, but they're against this person. And this person is against these people, but they're also helping these people who are against these people, but these guys are helping these guys. And so it's, it's like this, it's Game this of Thrones. huge, yeah. this huge mess. Basically, yeah, huge mess. Yeah, so ISIS has lost most of its, since then, ISIS has lost most of its territory. It does still exist, but most of its actual territory is is gone now but they're you know when they were first kind of come into power basically in 2013 2014 it's like all of the money that we spent like tens of billions of dollars that we spent on the iraqi government and the iraqi military it was almost like complete waste because of corruption and desertion and you know disbanding of military units like in Iraq itself, you know, that a lot of times it would just give up without a fight because what, you know, why would they, why try and resist? Like, we know we're going to get our asses kicked. We know that, you know, I'm either going to get killed or get captured and then get killed. So what's, what's the point? And so there was, you know, basically this is, it showed kind of the futility of the last 10 years of conflict in the region. And, and that was all, I'm not an expert by any means, but it seems to me that that would have been a lot harder for any of that to happen had the United States not invaded Iraq in 2003. <laughs> right. And right. I I completely understand that the the Saddam Hussein regime was horrible and they did horrible things and he needed to be out of power that you know obviously the everyone has a right to govern their own lives and govern their own future and and he was super oppressive and violent but it's like we talked about in the hurt locker episode it's a it was a, a stability thing right the devil you know is better than the devil you don't right so today in iraq 
I mean, you haven't been to Iraq yet, I don't think, but like, what is, no. what is life There's like? There's still a military presence right, there. Right. What is life like for the daily or for the regular Iraqi citizen, I guess? I guess, is, is, are they getting to vote in elections and it's just still dealing with corrupt governments? And so it's, I think it, I think it is, te- it's I mean, it's, it's essentially, uh, it's, well, the, the government itself is stable-ish, but there are, there are still, terrorist organizations operating there there's still okay. you know isis is, is still around there are still there's like iranian backed terrorist groups there too um obviously in, earlier this year um which a lot of people forget about between covid and uh the george floyd protests that are going on right now that at the beginning of this year back in january year, we last came last year Oh, right. At, so the, this right la, the beginning of last year, uh, because this is 2021, um, in January of 2020, we came really close to a conflict with Iran because, you know, there was the Iranian general was was killed and that was in Baghdad. So there are there is still a I mean, even though. The United States hasn't been doing, you know, sustained combat operations in Iraq for a while. There is still a, a, a military presence there. Yeah, so it's a mess, and it's it's uh, you know, something hopefully that you you want what's best for the the people involved, and it's just tricky when you have so many different factions that ultimately want their say, and if they're willing to resort to violence over the ballot box, I think that just causes so many problems. Which, again, you know, again, we're recording three months before an American election where you feel like some people wouldn't mind a little violence to get what they want. So you just want to make sure we don't go down that road and that level heads always, always prevail. And yeah, it's kind of probably about all we need to say about Iraq. And I don't think we'll be dealing with the war on terror anymore in our world history line here. So yeah, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled program next week. <laughs>